One of my favorite stories um, is about how one leper, a, a guy with leprosy, actually saved an entire city. Um, the city had been under siege for quite some time, and they were beginning to starve inside the city. You, you know how a siege works. Uh, an enemy, instead of just attacking the city, they will surround the city with their army and will not let any food in or, or, or anybody out to go get any kind of food. Eventually, the food supply runs out in the city, and, and there was a famine going on at the same time to make matters worse. And eventually it got so bad in the city that people were eating uh, pigeon dung. Um, a donkey head would be sold for stew for an exorbitant amount of money. And at one point, the king heard a case where a woman was saying to him, Listen, you need to bring justice to this situation because my friend and I, we, we had a pact that yesterday we would eat my son so that we would not starve, and then today we would eat her son, and yesterday we did eat my son, but she has hidden her son from us so that we cannot eat her son today. At this point, the king was so distraught. He, he was filled with such anguish over the, 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 uh, the, the state of his city that he just tore his robes and cried out to God. Now, meanwhile... There are, at the city gates, four men who are suffering from leprosy. Now, usually, lepers would be kicked out of the city. Uh, they're, they're, they would be untouchable, and uh, they're, they're disease communicable, so they, they would be tossed out of the city. But because of the siege, they could not leave the city, so they were pushed out towards the, uh, the, the city gates, the outmost parts of the city, so that they would not come into contact with the people of the city. Well, eventually, these four guys were talking, and they said, you know what, this isn't right. The city hates us. We're already outcasts. We're going to die, either from leprosy or from starvation. Let's try to go, you know what, crazy idea. Let's go out to the enemy and see if they'll take us. What's the worst that's going to happen? If they, if they kill us, we're going to die anyway. So that night, they struck out from the city gates to go turn themselves into the enemy. What they found, though, was miraculous because somewhere along the lines, the, the, the enemy that had been laying the city under siege, they had been freaked out. They thought that they heard the sound of an un, oncoming army thinking that the people of the city had called for help, for backup, and so they thought that they were under attack, and they literally fled from their spots around the city without anybody from the city knowing it. Now these four lepers, as they go into the enemy camp, they are ready to turn themselves in, and there's no enemy. And they begin to look around. They go, this, this is crazy. Let's look in this tent. And as they looked in the tent, there was amazing amount of food. They're going, dude, we struck it rich. They begin to eat. They had not eaten for a long, long, long time. And they ate, they ate everything in that tent. They went to the next tent. They saw more food. So they are just gorging themselves. They're, they're finding gold and silver. and they're, they're stuffing it in their pockets and burying it so that, that they can have this treasure for later. And somewhere along the lines, one of them said, guys, hold on. I know that we have found some amazing things here, but it is not right for us to hoard all of this. When I know that the city hates us. I know that the city hates us, but this is a day of great 
joy. And we should go back to the city and share the news with them. Isn't that cool? Cool story. One, one guy, a guy with leprosy, decided that even though he had been hated and outcast from the city, that he was going to share good news with the city. Now, folks, you and I, if we are disciples of Jesus, we have good news. That's actually what gospel means. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about good news. The, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is great news. It's the hope of the world. But here's the deal. It was meant to be shared. It's like us finding this amazing meal, this wonderful good things for us. And we've got a world out there that's starving for that kind of hope and that kind of life and that kind of love. We have what they need. But our sinful nature makes it difficult for us to share at times. So Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 37, is a great picture of what it means to know that you have a story, but then to be convicted that God has actually asked you to share your story. Paul's going to tell his story in Acts chapter 21. So if you'll go there to Acts 21, starting in verse 37. Paul has a B.C.A.D. story. What do I mean? Well, B.C. means before Christ, right? And that's how we tell our time. You know, 400 B.C. was 400 years before Christ. And A.D. means Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. So we separate time through the life of Jesus. And so does Paul in regards to his life. There is a B.C., a before Christ. This was what I was like. Then I met Jesus, and now I have A.D. I have a year of our Lord. Now my life is different because of what Jesus did for me. Now, you have a story just like Paul, and that story has been given to you for a reason, because once Jesus comes into your life, there's now a new purpose for your life, a new direction, a, a new hope, a new force behind what you do. You are now a disciple of his kingdom. You're under new management. So it matters what you do with your new life. Folks, when you became a Christian, when you became a disciple, it wasn't just about you getting to go to heaven. Yes, your relationship with God was renewed, but now there is a recreated sense of who you are. You have a different identity, a recreated identity. You have a recreated value, and God wants you to take your story and share it. There are three things about the power of your story that I want to look at today. It's all about keeping it real, keeping it clear, and keeping it going. So we're going to pick up in chapter 21, starting in verse 37. As Luke records to us, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered and said, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood up on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. He's in Jerusalem. 
Under Gamaliel, who was one of the, the, the great teachers of the Jewish faith, under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. That's what the Christian movement was called, was the way. And I arrested both men and women and threw them into prison. And also the high priest and all the council, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Folks, that is risky right there to tell all of his story because not all of his story is pretty. But Paul is committed to keep his story real, to keep it real. We need to keep our story real. In this first part of the story, the B.C. part, Paul keeps it real. He, what he shares is not very flattering. He tells them of a life that is pretty radical, a life really of a terrorist, hunting down people, persecuting them because they had a different belief, persecuting them to the death. It's not pretty, folks. And, and yet what Paul is willing to share is real. He's real about it. Why? Because here's my, here's my uh, experience, my observation. People can relate to real. People can relate to real. If all you are putting out there in front of people is, I've never had any problems at all. I'm a plastic person with no problems whatsoever. Nobody's going to be able to relate to that. I, I heard one time, be careful following a leader that does not have scars. Be careful following a leader that doesn't have scars. See, that person doesn't know what it's like to struggle. But if you have a leader that understands what struggle is all about, that, that person's going to be a little bit more understanding. Folks, if people come into this place and they don't see people with struggles or people who have understood what struggle was about, they're not going to feel like they fit in. People cannot relate to perfect people. And so if your testimony is all about how good you are, and how you have done all of this stuff for yourself because you're such an awesome Christian. I'm not sure that that's going to go over real well. I'm not sure how many people will connect to that story. That, that's, what, that's one of the many things that I love about ministering here. I, I love you guys. I, I love serving as your pastor. I tell you that every week. One of the things that I love about you is that you are real. There are still struggles that we have, and we don't pretend about it. You're in my office. You're, you're telling me what you're dealing with. You, we, we've got Bible studies and things come out that you would never think would come out in a Bible study. But we are real. I love that because we are all on the journey still. We have not arrived. And so we are ready for people to come into our midst and to join the journey without feeling like they don't fit in because they are not perfect. And so if your story has something that you might be a little uncomfortable about or embarrassed about, let me tell you, you need to stay real with your story because somebody out there needs to hear what you went through, what you are going through, because they are going through the same thing. Now, some of you say, well, that's great if people have this dramatic story, but I don't have a dramatic story, Trey. I, I was a good kid. I was raised in a Christian home. I, I, I never really did anything bad. Well, guess what? You can be real as well. Before Paul talks about all of the, the bad things that he had done, he told about how religious 
and good he was. See, there's, there's a point that we can relate to as well. Because I got to tell you, if you thought throughout your whole upbringing that your goodness, that your righteousness would make you right with God, you're just as wrong as the person who is out there uh, breathing murderous threats against people. Because you can't get to God on your own. And at some point, you, who have this milk toast kind of bland story, still needed to come to the realization that you needed a Savior as well. And so you've got to be real as well. That's what Paul was doing here. He was keeping it real so that he could show the power of God in his life. That brings me to number two. We need to keep it clear. We need to keep it clear as to who really brought about the change in our life. Look at verses 6 through 10 in chapter 22. About noon, Paul says, I came near Damascus and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. I want you to notice here that Paul does not make himself the hero of the story. This is not Paul saying, you know what? After a while, I hit rock bottom, and I came to my senses, and I figured it out, and I pulled myself up from my bootstraps, and I saw the light, and I decided to change. I, 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 I. So some people say, you know what? I, I really don't know how to share my testimony, so I'll just live a good life, and I'll be a silent witness. Well, that's great, because people are going to see how good you are, you, and unless you can point to something higher than yourself, then you have just grabbed the glory for your story. But your story is not your story. You've got to be very clear. Paul is not saying that he did any of this stuff. He's very clear that it's about Jesus. It's Jesus that showed up. It's Jesus that blinded him. It's Jesus that told him where to go. It's Jesus where he, who told him where to stop. It was Jesus who told him what to say. It was Jesus that was giving him an assignment. Folks, it's so easy to let it just look like we've got it all together. I remember a long time ago after my late wife Peg passed away. Within a couple months, I was back doing a theater down in Bend. And I had my, the wife of my director come up to me and say, Trey, how can you do this? How can you stay so strong after your wife passed away just a couple of months ago? It looks like you're doing so well. How do you do it? Well, I could have said, well, you know, I, I just am persevering. I'm just going to keep on. You know, you know, I'm taking one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. All good things, right? And, and who would have gotten the glory for that? Way to go. Way to go, Trey. Way to, go, way to be strong. Boy, now I'm a martyr. Now, now I, I look good in front of everybody, but I'm not being clear as to what really happened. So when she asked me that, the first thing that came out of my, my mouth was, this is all a God thing. I could not do this without Jesus 
being right here, giving me strength and guiding me through my journey of grief. See, is it, are you, are, are you who you are because of you or because of what God has done? Are, are you generous and, and, and giving away things in your life because you're just a great person? Because you're just a, a generous person? That's who you are? Or have you been led by the Spirit of God to be generous? Do, do you go down to, to Mexico to, to build houses because you're just a great kid? <laughs> Or is it because Jesus has done something in your life? You see, we got to be clear as to where that change comes from. It's not just about us. It's about him. Paul does not mince words. He does not muddy up the water with his own righteousness. It's very clear what this story is all about. Picking it back up in verse 11. He says, My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what, you, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. See, God broke through, took away all of Paul's self-righteousness through this miracle. And, and Paul has experienced both a physical enlightenment and healing and a spiritual enlightenment and healing. And God now has a new plan for his life, a new assignment, if you will, and Paul is obedient, Paul obeys, he's baptized, uh, he is discipled for a time, and then he heads out and, and to do what God wants him to do. That brings me to the third part about your story. You got to keep it real. You got to keep it clear, but also you got to keep it going. You got to keep it going because God does not want you to sit on your story. You were given a story as a gift for a reason because your story needs to be passed along. You see, they were listening to Paul until he says one pesky little word. Um, look at verse 17 and following. When I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And as soon as he says that word Gentiles, those Jews lose their mind. You see, there has been one huge obstacle for God's people consistently in the Bible. People who have a story from God, a story about being re reconnected to God, but for some reason they refuse to share that story with anyone else. God's plan has always been that through the Jews, the entire world would know his love and his plan for the world. And yet, Israel kept writing off entire groups of people. God's plan started back in Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abram. 
God says, I want to start a family with you, Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That word there, peoples, is the word Gentiles. That was God's plan from the very beginning. And yet, Israel became so ethnocentric, very exclusive with their faith, that they did not want to pass it along to anybody else. I was in the play, Fiddler on the Roof, and there's a great line where one guy says, why should I break my head about the outside world? Let them break their own head. And that seems to be the Jews' understanding, that their attitude towards the Gentiles. God says, yes, you are special. You are my special people for a purpose so that you might take my message to the world. It's like he's saying, look, I've given you my message. Psst, pass it on. Ever, ever do that? Pass it on. Please, don't just sit on it. Now, why is that so hard? You know, King David said in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Doesn't that sound awesome for God to be for you in that way, that he would make his face shine on you? And that's what they embraced God's people. That's what we embrace as God's people. God loves me. Jesus loves me. Your grace is enough for me. They forgot that there's a verse 2 of that psalm where it says, so that, see, bless us so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation would be known among all, guess what that word is? Gentiles, nations. <laughs> uh, Isaiah chapter 49, the Lord says it's too small of a thing for the Messiah to be a servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel that he has kept God says, I will also make you, the Messiah, a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. What's the last thing that Jesus told his disciples before going back to heaven? Does anybody remember Matthew chapter 28? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, that, that word go doesn't just mean that you've got to go overseas. It means as you are living, as you are going, make sure that you are sharing your story. It's like Jesus is saying, guys, you had one job. Thank you, Brock. You had one job, and you messed that up. It's like if you were striping the road, right? And there's a roadkill. No, no, that's not my responsibility. That's not my, you had one job. Take your story and share it. So why don't we? It's an emotional issue. The word Gentiles is brought up, and the Jews said no. In fact, if you look at verse 22, at that point, they literally said, rid the earth of this man. He's not fit to live because he wants us to share our God with the Gentiles. <laughs> Boy, that escalated quickly. You get the sense that they've been pushed beyond their comfort zone and they're upset. Can you relate? Here's what I know, what I've observed, is that we as believers are a little hesitant to share our story. I think that there's a lot of reasons why. I've been there, by the way. I'm not, I'm not judging you. We believers have, sometimes we have a hard time sharing our story. Why? Number one, maybe it's because we fear what people are going to think about us. Well, what are they going to do to us? 
Uh, we, we basically, we think we know what they're going to think about us, and that then dictates what we do or what we don't do. But ironically, actually, if you look at the next couple of verses, 23 and 24, um, it, it's like Paul really needs to be more afraid of the good church people than he does about the Gentiles. It, it's the good church people that want to hurt him, not the Gentiles. I, I, maybe we are so used to having friendly fire in a church where believers bash on us all the time that we think that if we get out there and tell our story to the, the, the non-believers, maybe they're going to do the same thing. And so we're a little afraid of sharing our story because what are they going to think of us? But, but maybe you don't share your story because, well, if you're honest with yourself, you just don't like a, a certain person or a group of people that you've kind of written off. And you say, yeah, your grace is enough for me, but oh, not for those people, not for them. You, you can't imagine that God would actually do a work of salvation and life change for them for that group of people and so in your book you've kind of written those people off folks you got to realize that it doesn't matter who they are what they look like what they sound like what their language is what part of the world they live in hashtag lives matter lives matter you might say but i don't like them because they don't like me they still matter they still matter to god's plan they still matter to his kingdom they still matter to his heart maybe maybe we don't share our story because we don't think our story is powerful enough let let, let me let me reiterate what i've said before and give you some encouragement god will use whatever situation you have been in to touch somebody else's life i have never seen anybody give their testimony that has not touched somebody's life and maybe you've got one of them crazy crazy dramatic stories of of one time being way way far away from god and then finally coming to understand who jesus is and your life radically changed you got to tell that story because somebody out there is going to say that's me you might think well i'm embarrassed about that story no 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 god will redeem your past some of you don't have that kind of testimony, but let me tell you, I've heard people tell the, the plainest, most normal story, and it touches people's lives. God gave you a story and asks you to share it, and you let him be powerful through your story, whether you think your story is powerful or not. Now, now, number four, may, maybe you don't share your story because you've never actually contemplated what your story is. Here's my challenge to you today, this week. This week, sit down with God and you begin to think about your story. What were you like B.C., before Jesus came into your life? Can, can you explain that? Can, can you write that down in a, in a few sentences or, or a couple of paragraphs? This is what my life was like. Then tell how Jesus was introduced to you. And then say what maybe your life is like now that Jesus is in your life. Folks, that's your testimony. That's your story. Some of you may have never contemplated your story, but you have a story, a B.C. and an A.D. Now, now why would it be good for you to to contemplate that and, and write it out? Because then you will be able to share that more clearly, and you'll understand that you actually do have a story how God has changed your attitude or your action, 
and, and your understanding of your purpose and, and God's plan for your life, the value that you have now in this world. I have a good friend who says that sometimes we get it wrong the way that we measure success. We, we look at the end result and say, we're not there yet, so I'm not successful. He says, actually, we need to stop and look how far we've come and judge our success by that. Yes, we are not what we're going to be, but I guarantee you that if you have been walking with the Lord, you are different now than what you were 10 years ago. You have a story, and your story should be shared, but you got to know what your story is. You know, we can come up with a lot of reasons not to share, but ultimately God gives us the best reason to share, and that's a word that's found in Matthew 28. It's here in Acts 22. It's found in many other places in Scripture. And you know what that word is? That word is go. See, we've got a command. So, so you can make all these excuses. I don't want to share my story. The fact is, is God says, I want you to share your story. <laughs> that's, that's the best reason that I can give you. God says, go, share your story of being a disciple with other people. And as you do, as you share your life, as best that you understand the message, you share that message. You, you share your own story of faith, the, the, the power of God in your life. All of a sudden, God begins to use you to do what he's always wanted to do, to reach people who are lost, to bring them into his story as well. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. There is a, uh, there, there's a great illustration that I ran across this, this week. It's a story about a little girl who had been given a shiny gold cross necklace for her eight, eighth birthday. She was so proud of that. She would show that cross off to everyone. Well, one day, as, as she was leaving church, and the pastor was back there uh, greeting people as they left, she wanted to show the preacher her shiny gold cross. And, and she was really proud of it. And, and, and the preacher looked down and said, well, that's beautiful, honey. But he says, but you know, though, that the cross that Jesus died on was really not that pretty. It wasn't shiny like that. It was old and rugged. It wasn't made out of precious metals and gold. It was, it was made out of wood. And it was not very pretty at all. It was an instrument of, of hurt and torture. And it wasn't pretty like your cross. And, and the little girl looked up at him and says, Oh, I know all of that. I know all of that. But they told me in Sunday school that whatever Jesus touches, he changes. Isn't that cool? Church, you have a story. But your story is really his story. God's story. It's a story of God through Jesus touching your life and changing you. It's a story of his glory. It's a story of his grace. The story has been given to you as a gift, but not for you. It's a gift that you would then pass along. It's a story to share. And hopefully you see from this passage today the, the need to keep your story real and clear and going. <laughs>